Good morning, everyone. Happy New Year to those who haven't wished Happy New Year yet. Some things that famous people have said about Jesus. We'll start with Napoleon Bonaparte. I know men, he said, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself, this is Napoleon, not me, <laughs> founded empires. But what foundation did we rest those empires on? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded an empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Einstein. I'm going for the biggies. He said this, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrasemongers, however artful. No man can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such a life. All the mythical heroes and heroes of that type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. Can I go on? Van Gogh, is that how you pronounce it? Van Gogh, some people tell me, famous artist. He said this, it's a very good thing that you read the Bible. That's true. The Bible is Christ, for the Old Testament leads us to this culminating point, Christ Jesus. And he has affirmed as a principal certainty eternal life, the infinity of time, the nothingness of death, the necessity and the reason for serenity and devotion. He lived serenely as a greater artist than all other artists, despising marble and clay as well as color, working in living flesh. That is to say, this matchless artist, Jesus, made neither statues nor pictures nor books. He loudly proclaimed that he made living people immortal. One final one. One you may not have heard of, I hadn't heard of him. Sholem Ashk, a Jewish author. This is my final one. Jesus Christ is to me the outstanding personality of all time, all history, both as son of God and as son of man. Everything he ever said or did has value for us today, and that is something you can say of no other man, dead or alive. There is no, this is a Jewish author speaking, there is no middle ground to stroll upon. You either accept Jesus or you reject him. We are gathered here this morning, folks, because of Jesus. Yes. Our very calendar is measured by Jesus. This is the new year, 2022 AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. History turns upon this beautiful, wonderful Son of Man, Son of God, Jesus. That's why we're here. And... Back in September, we decided as we gather back together, we want to simplify things. We really want to get back to the essentials, the simple things. And we decided, what is it? It's that we are following Jesus. That's what it's all about. And we're doing it together, following Jesus together. Before Christmas, in the months leading up to Christmas, 
we spent some time thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a follower? What does following look like? And we looked at different aspects of that. In the months from now until Easter, we're looking at who it is that we're following. This amazing person, Jesus. What is it that captivates us about him. And I'm, I'm so excited about it. I'm as excited before Christmas, but I'm even more excited now because I've been preparing for it and gathering together and asking the people who speak on a Sunday morning just to share with us some of the things that it is that captivates them about Jesus and compels them to want to follow him. I want to encourage you to get involved in a family hub where we will be looking at the letter to Colossians which is all about Jesus and Christ in us, who he is and who he is in us and the difference that that should make. We're also going to encourage you, there'll be more uh, information to follow on this. We're also going to encourage you, if you haven't already, have a look at this new online series called The Chosen, which is an imaginative interpretation of, of Jesus and his life and just in the first two episodes, we've only got as far as the Sermon on the Mount, but let's do it that far anyway. And we're going to encourage you to engage in that and maybe... Join us in a, a discussion on the blog about that. But we're going to be looking at Jesus. And as people who are speaking on Sunday mornings return to me, uh, what it was that they wanted to speak about, I got more and more excited. It's going to be a great time just thinking about who it is that we follow. It's Jesus. There's no one greater. It's incomparable. And I knew that I wanted, when I knew that we were speaking on that, I knew that I had a scripture that I wanted to look at. At least I thought that I did. Um, it's, it's a scripture, if you've got your Bibles or your, your phones, whatever it is you use, it's going to appear over my head anyway. But we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The thing is, when I read it, it didn't say what I thought it should say. <laughs> what I remembered it saying. Well, I'll explain in a minute. Let me just read it to you. For you have to understand, first of all, this has been written by Paul, one of the most influential leaders whose letters form a major part of the New Testament. And he's writing to a church at Corinth, but he's having trouble with his church at Corinth because there's a whole people, group of people there who are undermining his leadership, who are bad-mouthing him, who are dissing him, saying he doesn't compare very favorably with some other leaders that they rather admire, the super apostles, as he called them. Because apparently... Paul, despite the brilliance of his letters, he wasn't much of a speaker, apparently. And he wasn't much of a looker, either, apparently. Thankfully, in this church, you don't have that problem now. But, you know, he didn't look like much. What a great speaker. Um, and uh, those are the things. They didn't, he wasn't really quite cultured enough for some of them. He didn't have the rhetorical skills that some of them had. And he'd, well, it was a bit embarrassing because he'd been thrown in prison. And he'd been stoned. And, you know, he associated with people that you know you shouldn't really associate with and Paul he just and, and a lot of Corinth is about the, the letters to Corinthians are about this you've totally misunderstood the whole gospel those very things that you think disqualify me they will qualify me because God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise and the things that are weak to shame the strong and he says it's my, my, the very power of God is made perfect in my weaknesses the things that you think disqualifies me that's where that phrase comes from two Corinthians how I made perfect in weakness. So that's what's happening in this letter. And he comes to this bit. He says, so he actually, he actually wants to be talking to them about Jesus. But he says, just permit me to talk a little bit about myself and why I explain why. But anyway, he says this. This is his reason for doing all this. I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. That is talking about himself. Yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you as a church 
with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the snake's cunning, your minds might somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Now that's good. Pure and seer devotion to Christ. That's what we want to look at. My title, if you like, for today is Devoted to Jesus. Pure and sincere devotion to Christ. But it's not how I remembered it. This, this verse had impacted me years ago, and I'm sure it said, the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. And that struck a chord with me. I, I couldn't find it. So this is quite relevant because last Sunday... Two of the young girls in the church, I think it was Miriam and Tess, they marched up to me. I was just over there talking to someone. And they marched up to me and stood in front of me like this. And I thought they were going to tell me off for something. There's always something to tell me off about. And they, I thought they were going to tell me off. But they just said, how many Bibles have you got? I don't know. I've, I mean, I've collected a few over the years. But I, I turned, it turned out later it was my daughter that had dared them to go and ask this question. It's typical. Um, but they were very bold. How many Bibles have you got? Well, I don't know, about 20 or so? I don't know. Because the thing is, before the internet and Bible Gateway, now we had to buy loads of Bibles. I, the money I would have saved if the internet had been invented earlier. Don't you think? But I just couldn't. Find. So anyway, this is relevant because I'm looking through my Bibles and I'm looking through Bible Gateway. For those of you who are new to this, you can go online. There's a website called Bible Gateway and you can look at all the different versions and translations. It's the same Bible... But the fact that there's so many um, in, uh, versions and translations and so on just shows how rich the Bible is because it's looking at every little nuance and every little angle you can look at it from. It's, it's great. But I just couldn't find. I couldn't find this verse, which I'm sure said the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. And I so wanted it to. Because that's how I remembered. And in fact, I thought, maybe there's another translation of the Bible, which should be on Bible, Bible Gateway, called the TBM version. <laughs> Trevor's bad memory version, the TBMV. I thought, but no, guess what? I found it. The New American Standard Bible. The problem was, the problem was, not only are the different translations, but there are different versions of those same translations. So it was in the old New American Standard Bible. That's what I, I needed to look. And eventually I found it. And there it was. It says, I, I said, I don't want you to be led astray in your minds from the purity and simplicity of your devotion. Let me get it the right way around. Your mind will be led astray from the purity, the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, folks. Maintaining the simplicity and purity of our devotion to Christ. Now, I'm talking about the Bible. It is important to engage with Scripture, to engage with the Bible. But understanding that the Scriptures are there to lead us to Jesus. They're not an end in themselves. They are to lead us to Jesus. In actual fact, there was a time when Jesus was once challenging the religious teachers of his day who, were, who knew the scriptures really well. Their scriptures would have been what we now call the Old Testament, but they knew them really well. They diligently studied them. And Jesus said to them, he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by them that you have life, but these scriptures are about me. You need to come to me to get life. The scriptures are there to lead us to Jesus. 
Because there's another passage in the Gospels where two of the disciples have been a bit disappointed and hopeless because Jesus had died and they didn't realize he'd risen again yet. And they're walking along and then Jesus joins them. And then without them realizing it's him, he opens up the scriptures to them. And then later on when they realized it was him, they said this, did not our hearts burn within us as we walked with him and he opened up the scriptures to us because he showed them that the scriptures were all about him. Did not our hearts burn within us? Let me just say this, folks. If your hearts aren't burning within you when you read the scriptures, you're reading it wrong. (laughs) They should be burning within you for a passion for Jesus. Maybe not all the time. Maybe some of the times when you read the scriptures, you're thinking, what? (laughs) But eventually, as you pursue it and as you study it, and maybe you get help and a guide to help you, your heart should burn with a passion for Jesus. With what I hope will be the purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus. Simplicity. There's a longing, isn't there, in our hearts for simplicity. I think even in the culture, that's why you've got such a lot on minimalism. The minimalists sitting there at the moment and decluttering and think there's something our hearts long for. Can we just simplify things to the real basics, the essentials? And we find it in the church as well. One of the greatest uh, Bible scholars and theologians of our age, um, N.T. Wright, He's written some books to try and make all of his scholarship accessible and he calls it Simply Jesus or Simply Christian or Simply Gospel. The guy that we're getting to come and speak at our family church weekend away and I hope you're all signed up if you haven't speak to somebody about signing up. Um, he's written a book called Simply Church. We, we long for simplicity. Alison's word to us uh, this morning and, and last week was about just keeping it simple, just cutting that knot of all its complexity and its mess and just getting it down to the simple things of following Jesus. When I was part of a church in Peterborough years ago, a small church in Peterborough, there was a lady in the church who'd been to Bible college. So whenever any of us were preaching, she wanted us to give us, she always wanted to give us the benefit of her advice and experience because she'd been to Bible college. And it was, of, let's say, varying quality, the advice. But there was one thing she did which was good. And I probably should have learned more from. She would come up and she would peck us, you know, give us a little peck, kiss on the cheek. To any, anyone who's preaching, she would say, kiss, remember kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. Which is not very nice, is it really, to call you stupid, just you're about to preach. But keep it simple, stupid. Some of you are thinking, I wish you'd listen more, Trev. But anyway, but, um, I want to give you all... A socially distanced big kiss this morning. An encouragement. Keep it simple, saints. See what I did there? I'm not going to call anybody stupid. Keep it simple, saints. Let's keep it simple. Let's keep things simple. And just in terms of we're here just to love Jesus, listen to him, follow him, walk with him. But there's another way in which we keep it simple. It says the simplicity and purity of your devotion to Christ. The 19th century uh, Christian philosopher, Soren Kiergaard, he said this, purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Do you remember that time when Jesus, there was, there was Mary and Martha, and I won't go into the whole story now, but one of the sisters, Martha, was so occupied with many things. And Jesus said, there's just one thing necessary just to sit at the feet and listen in that moment sit at the feet and listen to Jesus learn from him follow him 
Purity of heart is to will one thing. We can never get the simplicity that we long for if we want Jesus and other things. Jesus and popularity. Jesus and ambition. Jesus and reputation. Not, those things are not wrong, but if, we, if, if, if they compete in, with, for our affections for Jesus, then you'll never get the simplicity you long for. Purity of heart is to will one thing. That's why James in the New Testament says, um, purify your hearts, you double-minded. We have to be single-minded and pure-hearted in our, vo- our devotion to Jesus. We only live to love him, serve him, follow him. Purity of heart is to will one thing. We keep things simple by being pure in heart and single in mind. The purity and simplicity of your devotion. The dictionary defines devotion as a deep love and loyalty. Paul here uses some quite strong language. Taken from all over the Bible actually. Because God's people are said to be married to the Lord. Jesus is the husband The church is the bride and we have been betrothed to him. You realize when Jesus comes again, the first thing that's going to happen is going to be a big wedding ceremony because we have been betrothed to Jesus. What would you think, just just for a moment, it's not a nice thought, but just think of a person, a a woman who, I'm talking about women because he's using this illustration here, a woman who has been betrothed, engaged to a man and during the time of their engagement, she was just sleeping around and going off with other guys. We would not think much of that. That's the kind of strong language that Paul is using. He says, I'm like a father who's promised you to the one husband, Christ. Don't let your heart be divided by other things. Just pursue Jesus. He alone, he alone uh, deserves our loyalty and our love. Devotion. I don't know if any of you have seen recently, there's been a, a, a new... Um, documentary about Pavarotti, Lucian Pavarotti. Anybody see it on the BBC iPlayer? I think Pavarotti is one of the greatest singers ever to have lived and sang. I think he is amazing. I was watching something and he had just an amazing voice. And um, um, he must have practiced really, really hard to sing so well. Would you agree? But he said this. He said, people think I am disciplined. He says, it's not discipline, it's devotion. And there's a great difference. It's not discipline, it's devotion. And there's a great difference. You know, I I don't know if any of you who are perhaps more mature in years can think back to when you first met your wife or your husband, if you're married, and uh, you fell in love. You were devoted. I trust that you still are devoted. I'm mentioning the older people because in those days we used to write love letters and things, didn't we? Didn't we? <laughs> we used to write love letters maybe or we'd ring and we'd speak. If we were parted, we would ring and everything like that. Did you do that? Because you thought, well, I must have this daily discipline of ringing or meeting or writing a letter. Did you do that because, you know, you thought, I must develop this habit No, you did it because you loved one another and you were devoted to one another. Listen, discipline is good. Forming habits like habits of prayer and engaging with scriptures are good, but let's do it out of devotion. 
Not just out of discipline or practices or habits. Let's do it because we love him. We're so captivated and in love with Jesus. Paul is writing here. It might seem a little bit of a negative way to start this. I hope, I hope and pray that as we consider these different aspects of Jesus that people look at over the next few weeks, um, I pray we'll fall in love with him again. But Paul here in this letter say, I don't want you to be led astray from this simple, pure devotion to Jesus. And he says, first of all, I don't want you to be deceived in your mind. And he uses this picture of Eve being deceived. Can I just say something about that, by the way? Because some people think, and some people have actually taught this wrongly. Well, Eve was deceived because she was a woman. You know, and women are more, easy, women are more you know, susceptible than men. And see the hackles rising on some of the ladies now, and rightly so. This is just a continuation of what Adam did in the garden. He said, this woman that you gave me, she gave me the apple. You know, let's blame the woman. That's just a continuation of the blame shifting that Adam did right at the very beginning. Eve was not deceived because she was female. Eve was deceived because she was isolated. It was when she was on her own. She was created to be with Adam. They were created to be together. It was when she was on her own that she was deceived and she was isolated. We belong together. We belong in community. But Paul says here to the Corinthians, he says, you, you know, you're being distracted by being, de- being sorry, led astray by being deceived. He says, because he goes on to say, because even if somebody comes and preaches a different message, you're going to believe that. I said we're going to look at the book of Colossians. And in the book of Colossians, one of the points that it makes is this. This message that we preach, it's not Jesus and something else. Jesus is not, is not just part of the picture. He's the center of the picture. It's all, as we've sang already today, it's all about Jesus. And, and, and one of the things that happened in that New Testament church that Paul was writing to is that they would have Jesus plus, I don't know, the great speakers of the age or Jesus plus a bit of Jewish law or Jesus plus a bit of Greek philosophy. And, and, Paul is, and, and Paul gets really strong. He was talking about, you know, like a woman, an adulteress, if you like. Elsewhere, he says to these guys who were teaching the wrong stuff, he says, they're in league with the devil. Why is he, why is he using such strong language? Because it, it really is all about Jesus, and anything which shifts Jesus from the center is not the gospel. This is the gospel that we preach. The message that we preach is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus a bit of, I don't know, human, as I said a couple of months back, human flourishing. Or Jesus and psychological well-being. You can, you can see some stuff put by Christians on social media and stuff and things. This is, you know, this is no different from what anybody might put about just having psychological well-being. Now listen, psychological well-being is good. I don't criticize that. But sometimes following Jesus, it's not good for your health. You know, it's not good for your well-being. It's not good seemingly for your human flourishing. It is, in fact, because he teaches us that we gain life by losing it. We live by dying to self. We, we come first by being last. We become the greatest by serving in his upside-down kingdom. But sometimes it doesn't look like it. And if we just think that Christianity is just another pathway to some kind of, I don't know, human flourishing or, or well-being, we're missing the point of the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus. So don't be deceived into just it being a little add-on 
to all of the messages that are out there. It is the message that surpasses all messages because it's about the person who surpasses all people. The gospel is all about Jesus. So some are being deceived, some are being distracted. Well, and we can be distracted by many things. Remember Martha, I mentioned earlier, she was distracted by many things instead of the one thing necessary, which was devotion to Jesus. We can be distracted by all kinds of things, but one of the things that the Corinthians were being distracted by was, as I said earlier, these super apostles, these great speakers. And Paul just didn't, Paul compared unfavorably to them. But he makes the point, it's not about who's the greatest speaker. It's not about who, in the early letter to Corinth, the first Corinthians, he said, he spoke about those who said, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. And he says, who are they? They don't matter. It's all about Jesus. They're just servants of Christ. And if we're not careful, the same thing can happen to the church today. I don't know, it could be your favorite TED talk or your famous, you know, favorite and famous megachurch speaker or the latest kind of fad or the thing that's in at the moment that you want to get into. Listen, if they help you, great, use them. But don't let it distract you from who it's really all about. It's Jesus. And I have to say, listen, I'm going to be honest with you now, and I'm sorry if this insults any of those of you who are going to be speaking over the next few weeks and months. We're a bit more like Paul, you know. We're like, I don't mean that we weren't much to look at. I don't mean in that way, but we're just ordinary folks. You know, we're just average Joes, as it were. Um, none of us are, you know, being invited to do a TED Talk, I don't think. None of us have got our, our international speaking tour all lined up. You know, we're just normal, ordinary Christians. But I hope what we'll do is by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we will open up the Scriptures and point you to Jesus. And some of us, will do, some of us may do it really, really well. And some of us may be, you know, I'm talking about me here now. We might sing a little bit. I don't know. But we'll do it. It'll be, it'll be uh, mixed, probably. But as long as it points you to Jesus... That's the most important thing. So please don't be distracted by what's the brightest and the best, what's the latest and the most popular. Be captivated by Jesus. As long as they lead you to Jesus, that's the most important thing. Okay. We can be deceived. We can be distracted. But probably I think the most common one is that we can just drift. The writer to the Hebrews, not Paul this time, the writer to the Hebrews says, you must pay more careful attention to what you have heard. And what they had heard was the gospel about Jesus, the message about Jesus. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. Because a lot of us could say, you know what, I know the gospel is all about Jesus. And I know I'm not going to be distracted by these great speakers or these great trends or what have you. But we just end up drifting. We might end up drifting just into, I don't know, the busyness of life. Or as Paul was talking about, you know, just the, the kind of just the normal, usual things of life. We need to have our eyes opened afresh. In fact, actually, the answer to, in the letter to the Hebrews, Paul, um, not Paul, I it was Paul. The, the writer to the Hebrews said this. He said, um, Jesus is greater than everything. He's greater than the angels. He's the greatest sacrifice. He's the greatest priest because a lot of these guys have come from the whole Jewish background. He is the greatest. 
And then he said, then he points to, in a chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, to all of these people who were just, they were messy, messed up, ordinary people, just like you and me, but they lived trusting in God. And then in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, Hebrews chapter 2, let us, Hebrews chapter 12, sorry, verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the beginner and the finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Everywhere I turn, I'm bumping into that encouragement these days to fix your eyes on Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning, folks. The, the answer to just drifting into just the everyday life is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I just want to finish with this. Well, let me, well, just one more thing. If we're going to be devoted to Jesus, we've got to do this together. We need to encourage one another, spur one another on. It's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. I need the Christ who is in you. And you need the Christ who is in me. And the world needs the Christ who is in us. I'll just say that. But let me finish with this. Some of you know this story. I'm not going to dwell much upon it. But about seven or eight years ago, you see, when you talk about running with perseverance, the race marked out for us, one of the things that struck me over the years, it's quite difficult to sustain an honest, sincere faith in Jesus over the long haul, over a long life. It's challenging. There are all kinds of temptations to drift away, to, to give up. I think in the 40 years nearly that I've been walking with Jesus, the number of people who I've seen, some have actually just walked away, but many have just drifted away from walking with Jesus. It's easy to drift. And seven or eight years ago, it wasn't so much a drifting, but I nearly just gave up on it all. And you might think, what was it that kept me? I know some of you have heard this before. What, what held me? And you might have thought it would be, I, I spent time in the presence of God. Well, I never felt the presence of God for quite a long period of time. You might have thought, was it the Bible? Because, you know, the, you love the Bible. You know the Bible, Trev. I would read the Bible. And it'd be like chewing pebbles. I, I would get nothing out of it. It was just a period I went through. Was it the vision of God's kingdom? Well, I believed in it all, but it didn't do anything for me. The one thing, one thing. Remember, purity of heart is to will one thing. The one thing which held me was the beauty of Jesus Christ. As you read the Gospels, you look at this amazing person. And I thought about what I'd learned about Jesus. It's the only thing that held me. He is the beautiful one. Yeah. Brian Zond is an American pastor. He's written a book just recently. And he takes a phrase, which is a famous phrase from the Russian author Dostoevsky, which says, beauty will save the world. Beauty will save the world. Now, he's in a situation in America where they're hemorrhaging young Christians from the church on a regular basis. Many young Christians giving up on the faith. For some of them, it's because they see that the church has got distracted by politics. And it's really poisoned the whole thing over there. And he, is, he speaks against that. And he says, you know what? It's not political power that will keep the Christian faith. 
nor is there argument and persuasion that will keep the Christian faith strong or will keep somebody in the Christian faith. He says, nor is it a charismatic personalities which will convince people. He says, the one thing that he believes will keep people Christians and keep the Christian faith going, and I'm going to read from him in a moment just to finish, is the beauty of Jesus Christ. He says this, if I'm hedging my bets on the survival of the Christian faith as we hurdle into a secular age, it's because the king of hearts is still so beautiful. I'm willing to bet my grandchildren's faith on the beauty of Christ. I'm willing to bet my grandchildren's faith on the beauty of Christ. Folks, let's remember, it's all about Jesus. In these next few weeks and months, let our hearts be captivated again by the beauty of Christ. Let's keep it simple and just love him and follow him and let everything else come from that. One of the things that Jesus did to help us to remember him was to leave behind a simple meal, bread and wine, keeping it simple. In a moment, Paul is going to come up and play us a song as we just again reflect upon these words and on the beauty of Christ and are captivated afresh by him, I trust. And then Sarah, I don't know if you're going to help us by coming up and explain to us how we're going to do this. So halfway through the song, take a break, Paul, and we'll supervise how we're going to do the bread and the wine. Just remember as you're taking the bread and wine, this is how we know uh, what, God's lo- what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Let that captivate you afresh. Amen.